Hello and welcome to another episode of the Spirit of 2016 podcast. It's a quarantine episode this time. Um, my name's Andy Bell and I'm joined over Skype by Luke Niblock. Nib, isolation's rubbish, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's not the best. I think it's a bit strange, you know, suddenly having things be so different in life for everyone. But we're, we're both taking the necessary steps to, you know, isolate and make sure that we're not going out and ruining things for people. So I've um, just been trying to keep as busy as I can, basically, throughout the time, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's just um, always try, trying to find things to do, isn't it? You know, when you're not you're not able to meet up with your mates or do the things you normally do. I mean, are you missing the football much? Um, yeah, I mean, the football is obviously, you know, it's something that keeps a lot of people going throughout weekends and everything like that. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I think you have to put this situation first, as difficult as that is for some Liverpool fans maybe to take. You know, it's... Uh, it's one of those things where football does take doesn't take precedence in this situation, you know. So I've just been keeping busy, bit of yoga, a bit of drumming, um, just doing things that can pass the time nicely, you know. So yeah, I mean, it only took you fifty seconds of the podcast to bring up that Liverpool might not win the league. So thanks yes. for that. <laughs> I was quite enjoying my day, but yeah, that's okay. Um, no, yeah, that that is the thing. Like, obviously, we were planning to do a good few podcasts because we obviously had the semi-final of the playoff coming up and potentially a final as well so potentially a few podcasts in quick succession for us now but as we know that game's not going to be played right now and probably won't be played for a while I mean UEFA came out in the week there and said they've postponed all games in June so who knows when we're <laughs> when we're ever going to play that but uh, instead you know we're going to have a preview for Euro 2020 but we thought we'll, we'll do a wee filler and we will have a chat back about Euro 2016 and have a bit of a reminisce about that. So, um, obviously, Spirit of 2016 is the name of the podcast. It's uh, based around the fact that, well, from for me and you, for our sort of generation, anyone under the age of, uh, I guess, like ar around 45, 50, uh, we'd, we've never really seen or don't really weren't really old enough to remember uh, for some some of the, the older people in that bracket, um, their team playing, or Northern Ireland playing in major tournaments. So, um, well, first of all, I remember uh, me and you, obviously, we were in high school together. And we used to always talk about, would we ever see Northern Ireland at a major tournament? This is, you know, post-Laurie Sanchez, the Worthington years. Everything was a bit bleak. We are finishing either fourth or fifth in, in qualifying campaigns. A couple of false dawns, but it was mainly in, in hope rather than expectation. I mean, did you ever think, was there ever a point where you thought, like genuinely thought, we'll, we'll never see Northern Ireland at a major tournament in our lifetime? No, I didn't. And to be honest, I think we were just so used to the kind of negative football that you'd seen a lot of the time. Obviously, we had some moments under Laurie Sanchez, but I think when you just look at someone like the Nigel Worthington days and things like that, it, does, it doesn't really kind of strike you with any optimism, really, as a Northern Ireland fan. And I think I had just kind of resigned to the fact that we'd never be able to really score enough goals um, to, to qualify from these tournaments. You know, obviously, I didn't really think we'd get necessarily a manager in that could really tactically outwit loads of these European managers. And uh, I think Michael was the one to do that for us and find a system that just worked. And uh, before Michael, I mean, I never would have thought it happened. No, I really wouldn't have. Yeah, well, obviously, we're not going to talk too much about the actual qualifying campaign for Euro 2016. Perhaps that's uh, one for another show. But I want to just rattle through uh, the results here as, as best as I can remember them. So obviously, we start off with the, the three wins from three. We get a late win in Hungary to win 2-1. Then we beat the Faroes 2-0 at Windsor. And then we go to Greece and win 2-0. Uh, we then go to Romania and lose. Uh, and then get Finland at home and win 2-1. So we're 12 points from 15. Romania at home is a draw. Gives us 13 from 16. And then we have uh, we go to the Faroes and win 3-1. 
Um, so we're looking good at this point. And then I think the next game is the one where we can, uh, if we beat Hungary at home, we can qualify. Um, but it wasn't like one of those things, uh, although it was three games to go, you know, we, we weren't sure at that point that we were going to qualify. I mean, if Hungary won that game, there were a couple of points behind us um, with slightly easier fixtures than us as well. Obviously, we draw that with a last-minute Lafferty goal and then beat Greece uh, eventually to uh, confirm mathematical qualification. And then we win the group in Finland with, uh, with a one-all draw. I mean, given that, obviously, third uh, for the first time in... Well, I, I think for the first time ever and for the first time in, uh, in our lifetimes watching Northern Ireland, third place could get you a playoff. Um, so, obviously, they expanded the Euros to 24 teams. What I wanted to ask you was, what, what do you remember like a specific game where you really started to believe we were going to France? Well, I remember watching that, uh, that Hungary game. And, I mean, I think we, we scored two late on, didn't we? McGinn and Lafferty. So, yeah, yeah, I remember watching that thinking, okay, you know, that's, that's lovely. But I, you didn't really pass it off as anything that's going to be a long-term success necessarily at that stage, even though it was a bit of a freak win towards the end. I think for me, it was Greece away because we got that early goal with Ward. And then I was thinking, oh, you know, maybe can we can just kind of hold this out 1-0. But we went on, scored a second, and then just kept a clean sheet away from home. And I th- and the way we went about that game, just, I mean, that Lafferty goal for a start was just getting me so excited about watching football again. It was amazing. Um, but just, I think the way we went about that game, you know, the eternal optimist in me just thought we could actually go on and do something here. And that was just a huge result that kind of did shake up the group a wee bit and, and, and made things really interesting. So I'd probably say Greece away, even though it was quite early in the group. Uh, I'd say Greece away for me. I was, it was at that point, because I remember that game, obviously that was only the third game in, so it was quite early, but was that, at that point, were you thinking we can get third here, we can get a playoff and hopefully get a nice draw? Or were you actually thinking, you know, oh, we can finish top two in this group? I was thinking second or third, yeah. I mean, I still had my reservations about, like, you know, top in the group or anything like that. But I did think we could go on and maybe just, you know, play second to Romania or Hungary, you know, or something like that. So... Even if we got that result away to Hungary, I mean, I just thought that's a chance now to get top two in the group. I, I, I was looking at top two really at that stage. I mean, third, obviously, you know, you have a chance there, but you don't really want to go through the qualifiers. You know, you want to try and automatically qualify. And I think that was that was exciting for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, at that point, obviously, when we got the draw, the draw was very favourable. I mean, Greece, Romania, Faroe Islands, Hungary uh, and Finland, that's, that's a really good draw. And especially at a time where, you know, you could finish third and potentially qualify. Um, it, it, uh, we knew Greece was probably the nicest draw we could have had for a top seed. Uh, we didn't realise how bad they would actually be. <laughs> Even when we beat them 2-0, I was still thinking, well, obviously it was an amazing result, but it's caveated by the fact that, that you know the Pharaohs beat them home and away as well. They, I think they finished bottom of the group, uh, or maybe they were fifth, I can't remember exactly. No, they, they, yeah, they finished bottom here, I think. I think they had, I'm looking at the group at the minute, actually they had six points and they had a, a worse off goal difference than the Pharaohs. So, I mean, that says it all, really. Yeah, uh, as good a result as, as that away win was and the home win. Like, at, at, at that time, obviously, I thought it was much better. I thought we'd genu- genuinely gone away to a top nation and won. Uh, for me, the, I think the game was probably Finland. Um, I remember the Romania game, the fourth game in, uh, the chance to make it four from four. And obviously set that record of winning our first four qualification games that we eventually did set this year, uh, beating Belarus and Estonia. Um, I think that was, at that point, everyone was saying, okay, you know, back down to earth, nine points from 12. We've started very well here, but, you know, let's let's just have a wee bit of a reality check. We're still the fourth or fifth best team in this group and we'll still be, you know, have to work very hard to 
to, to even finish third and get into a playoff. And then when we brought Finland to Windsor, I mean, that, I just remember that was one of many incredible Kyle Lafferty displays in those two years where he just seemed to, everything he touched seemed to turn to gold for us. Uh, you remember the, as I said, the double against Finland, the, the goal against Greece, the, he scores that goal against Hungary, which is for me when I, like, when I really knew we're, we're going to France here. Um, I think what we all believed, and then when Hungary went 1-0 up with that Michael McGovern mistake, I think that was when I was I was starting to doubt myself. I was thinking, you know what, it's another false dawn. It's it's another one of these disappointing Northern Ireland qualifying campaigns. But uh, yeah, I think I think that equaliser, I mean, you remember, uh, we weren't watching it together, but we were sort of talking about it at the same time. There was just such a big let off, you know. Um, only 9,000 packed into that stadium. Of course, the South Stand was being redeveloped and the cop fell down in the game before. Not literally, obviously, but uh, had to be re- uh, had to be redeveloped. So that for me, what well, that for me was the one um, that late equaliser from Kyle Lafferty, and that's uh, that pretty much leads us into the the first game because well we're not going to talk too much about the friendlies, but there was a bit of a a bit of an issue formation wise and system wise and tactics wise in that obviously the qualification was from 2014 to 2016. But when Watford won promotion to the Premier League and played in the Premier League 2015 to 16, obviously Craig Cathcart was a man that uh, was playing regular Premiership football. So you were in a situation where you had Gareth McCauley, Johnny Evans, Craig Cathcart, both play, all playing uh, regular Premiership football. And we, for me, we played a lot better when we played 4-3-3 in the qualifying campaigns. It looked like a system that suited us with dynamic wingers, with Jamie Ward in top form. Stuart Dallas was starting to come through and really make a name for himself. Um, and in, in those friendlies, really, it was there was a lot of three at the back. And, of course, while he wanted to get his three centre-halves into the team, uh, perhaps three at the back wasn't the way to do it. And that's the way we set up against Poland. So um, what, what did you think of how we set up, obviously, with the hindsight of pretty much getting dominated that whole game? Yeah, I don't think it was, I mean, the bet, I think they really utilised the channels in that formation we were playing and they just attacked us there all game. I mean, McLaughlin did struggle in that in that particular game um, because they just seemed to keep playing into the channels, Poland, and it just meant that we couldn't really get out. You know, that's the thing that you, you, you when you're playing a, a three-at-the-back system or a five-at-the-back, whatever you want to call it, um, you do offer a team a chance to get into the channels like that and maybe work your, your centre-backs and pull them out wide and just cause a bit of chaos. I don't think we ever dealt with that really efficiently in the game and um, you know, that was, I think, post the, you know that match, we did think about that formation and, and thought, was that the wrong choice with Michael? And it probably was for that game in particular. It might have worked against a different opposition, but for that game, it just it didn't work out for us at all, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Michael's chatted at length before. Uh, I've seen interviews with him where he has said things like, you know, I, I just had to get these three Premier League centre-halves on the team. And you can understand that to an extent. I mean, we're not a nation that can be benching Premier League players. You know, we only have normally four or five maximum at once. And Craig Cathcart was one of those and he was playing well. He played 35 games for Watford that season in the Premier League out of 38. So, you know, we did have to get him in somewhere. Um, now, obviously, as we'll come on to talk about um, in the games after this, we uh, put Johnny Evans to left back and played Cathcart and McCauley at centre half and that seemed to work a lot better for us. Um, but you mentioned Conor McLaughlin there. Conor was, was somebody who, uh, I, I think the Hungry Away game, it was either one of his first games or it was his actual debut. He sort of came out of nowhere for Northern Ireland, uh, playing League One football with Fleetwood at the time. And yeah, that, that game against Poland did really uh, sort of expose him. I mean, there were four central players, four central midfield players, and then uh, himself and Ferguson were sort of playing wing-backs. And I think it was Blaszczykowski who was up against him, who any anyone who's a, a follower of European football will know is a, 
was a really effective Dor- uh, player for Dortmund for many years and played at the top level of European football, played in the Champions League. So I think he was a wee bit screwed over by that formation. Just uh, there wasn't much help out there for him. And he sort of became uh, the scapegoat for that game in many ways after he put in many consistent performances in qualifying uh, before that and indeed after that in the in the next campaign. Yeah, no, no, big time. I think it's, it's maybe a bit harsh on McLaughlin because he was, as you say, he was thrust onto the scene, but I just don't think he got necessarily too much help in that game. And I just think when there's that much pressure on you and you can't really get out, it's difficult to get any kind of strings passes going in midfield and we couldn't get any kind of passages of play going. So that was that was just a difficult game to watch, I think, especially the start of a tournament. You know, you want to have a bit of optimism in the first game, but it was tricky watching that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously the... The thing is, the the reason we set up that way um, was clearly to thwart Lewandowski, and we we really did do that throughout the whole game. I mean, if you watch the, the highlights back, um, that guy was was pretty ineffective. And bear in mind, he is he still is one of the the world's top strikers, and certainly was at that time as well. Um, but for you, do you think Michael sort of ignored to an extent the fact that Poland had quality in other places in the park? I mean, they had Kaputska and Zielinski in midfield, who were two players that were up and coming at that time. Obviously, Zielinski's gone on to do slightly better than uh, Kaputska has, but also, you know, Milik, a, a top striker, and he seemed to have a couple of chances, and, and he was bound to take one, wasn't he? I mean, were we were we a bit too complacent with the rest of them, or did you think, we, you know, Lewandowski's so good, we had to make it our number one target to, to stop him scoring? Well, I mean, Lewandowski's record in, in European football is absolutely ridiculous, and he's done the same at club football. I mean, this this season, you look at his, his record at Bayern, and it's just, I mean, it's it's crazy numbers, I think, only being matched by um, Immobile in, in Italy for Lazio. But um, I think, you know, or Milik is a very tactical striker, and I think we did maybe just give him that little inch of space for his goal, and we just maybe didn't, you know, had eyes on Lewandowski in certain moments and passes as a play. And, and Lewandowski and Milik did create some good um, pieces to link up together, you know. And I think that's the thing. When there's such a, a world-class striker in a side like that, you do naturally just think a little bit differently, you know, during the game. It's those split decisions you can make. And ultimately, it's a split decision that costs us for the goal. And, and Milik took and took his chance. You know, he's clinical. So, Yeah, 100%. I mean, like, just look, looking back, we, re- we really didn't have any chances in that game. I know there was... Uh... A sort of well-worked free kick towards the end, which Davis didn't quite get onto. Uh, there was a Lafferty overhead kick, but I mean, uh, to even call it a half chance would be generous. I mean, I, I, I saw a stat um, when I was reading through the match report in preparation for this podcast saying uh, we had two shots in goal that game, which was the lowest of anyone in the European Championship since 1980, I think it was. And the, the other the other thing you have to say here is, uh, we've explained the, the sort of different format of qualifying, but also we remember we qualified as third place in that group um you know so all the uh, i think it was four of the six groups the third place team would go through so that was always going to come down to goal difference to an extent now obviously we know when we come on to talk about the germany game that was very much about keeping the score down we got our three points on the board and we we knew that if we got hammered there um that we would uh, that we would end up going home basically as one of the two lucky third place teams that uh, didn't qualify but do you think that was maybe in Michael's in Michael's mind from the offset? Do you think he maybe targeted the uh, the Ukraine game as the one he could get three points and for Poland and Germany? Well, try and make a point against Poland, but if not, keep the score down? 
Yeah, I th- I think Michael would have went into the Poland game wanting a draw, probably, to kind of just have a point on the board from the first game, because you know you have to play Germany in the group, and you know that that can be, you know, I mean, that could be quite a brutal game in terms of score. So I think he'd wanted the draw, but if he was to lose, he obviously wants to keep it tight, and his eye would have been on goal difference early on, because we did have that unique opportunity with the, uh, the third place. Um, I think we were a bit lucky that it wasn't more. But I don't think Poland were necessarily incredibly fruitful, you know, going forward as well. I mean, they, they, they could have taken more chances. Yeah, we were a bit lucky, but that's on Poland as much as it is on us. And I think that we just couldn't get anything going in midfield. And that's ultimately what cost us in that game. If we had some passes to play, we, I think we could have hurt Poland at the back. I mean, I think they had Glick there and he might have been showing some form at that stage. But I mean, he's not a great centre half and you can get him behind him and things like that. So we could have threatened more, but we just couldn't get any passes as a play going, really. Yeah, I think that's... Uh... We can pretty much wrap up the polling game there. I mean, there's not, there's not loads and loads to talk about. It was a disappointing day for us. Um, and it was pretty much complete domination from Poland right the way through. I mean, we, we did restrict mostly clear-cut chances. There were two or three. And as you say, on another day, you know, Milik misses a couple on, on another day. Uh, Michael McGovern makes a couple of good saves. When people talk about McGovern, they, they always think about the Germany game. But if you look at the highlights back, McGovern actually makes some some really top saves in other games, which saves us as well. So, um yeah, on another day they could have scored more, um, but they didn't, and that took us on to the Ukraine game, which is I assume is going to be the one that we're going to want to talk about for the most time. Firstly, like before I actually talk about the game, just like tell me about what you did that day. Where were you watching it? Who were you with? It's one of those moments for Northern Ireland fans where you know you'll remember it for all your life. Yeah, well, I was around at my uncle's actually, and we had loads of family round to watch the game, like just from extended family and like some of my like second cousins and everything. It was it was a bit mental, um, and we were just all in the living room, circled round, you know, had a bunch of sofas out, chairs pulled from the table and all because everyone's trying to watch it, and it was just one of those like amazing atmospheres to be a part of, just watching from home. Like, I mean, I would love to be. I mean, being in the ground would have been ridiculous, but. I was happy enough where I was watching that with with everyone in the room. You know, it was an incredible atmosphere it, that entire throughout the entire game. My dad just screaming. So, no, I mean that that was a big part of it as well. Who I was with on the day, as much as the result. You know. Yeah, I mean, what we should say is that there may be some uh, listeners that sort of maybe or some people that maybe sneer at the fact that we do a podcast and we weren't in the ground. Uh, actually, I don't really think so because most of the people listening to this podcast are really sound. But. Um, Obviously, it, it was our A-levels time. That's why we couldn't go over to watch the games, essentially. Um, and, well, for me, it was slightly different. So my my dad had, just had a, had a meeting that day. It was completely unavoidable. So uh, I think it's the first time my mum's ever sat down and watched a full football game with me. Um, and my mum has no interest in football whatsoever. But we were sitting in the living room. Um, and she was getting like, really, really into it. She was like screaming at the TV, almost more animated than me. <laughs> and uh, I remember obviously just going mental uh, with a Macaulay goal. But when when begins, Gordon wraps up the three points and gives us that extra goal that could you know plummet us into the last sixteen on goal difference. Like my, my mom just turned around to me and she was like, she's like, "You're actually gonna cry here." And I managed yeah. to hold it back, but it was one of those moments. It's just such an emotional day and. I remember there were there were three games on that day. There was, uh, so England Wales was first at one, and then I think we're are we four or five, and then there's, yes. Germany, there's Germany Poland in the evening, and I, I, I had an A level the next day, uh, and I remember thinking to myself, right, well obviously I'm going to watch Northern Ireland, and um, that was never out of the equation. I was like, can't really justify watching England Wales, but I did <laughs> anyway. And then when I came, I was like, right, definitely can't justify watching Germany Poland, but. 
obviously that that, uh, that affected the grip so I just like <laughs> it, it got it got to Germany Paul and I was like I have to sort of make an adult decision here um and I sort of had it on in the background pretend to do work just so I felt better about myself but yeah I ended up watching just all, more or less all three games but it was just uh it was just just an incredible day I'll never forget and Obviously, like I, I wish it was uh, either in the ground or at a fan zone in Belfast, but it wasn't possible. And you know, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed sitting and watching it with my mum. Just just to see my mum that animated over a game of football was mm. was incredible. Uh, let's talk about the game. So five changes. I remember uh, in our WhatsApp chat that we have chat about uh, football quite a bit. Uh, it, it was just complete shock when I when I posted the team into the group. Nobody believed me. Um, so Lafferty's dropped. This is the first thing, which is. At this point, you think because in recent years, Kyle Lafferty hasn't produced the same level of quality for his country as he was doing in the lead up to Euro 2016. But at the time, this was like a massive, massive call. It's like, oh my goodness, how has he done this? He's dropped this guy who has put in, you know, has had more or less the same impact. Maybe not quite the same impact, but more or less the same impact as David Healy did in that 2008 qualifying campaign. I mean, he was top scorer. Uh, Lafferty was top scorer in the group with with four goals or uh, four goals more than anyone else in qualification. Uh, and everyone was talking about this guy as you know the talisman for us, the guy that can uh, get us the gold and win us a game at a major tournament. And he's dropped for Connor Washington, who has two or three games under his belt at this point. Uh, some other changes was so Hughes comes in in place of McLaughlin. Uh, Johnny Evans goes to left back. Ferguson drops out, and then we play Dallas and Ward, who both came in. Uh, on the wings to give us two wingers and Corey Evans also came in which uh, was a bit of a surprise as well I mean what was your initial reaction to well the changes and I'm assuming primarily the the drop in a Kyle Lafferty I mean that that was a worry to me right off the bat and I think Ukraine fans might have been looking at that thinking okay this is this is fine we won't concede now against these guys but I think what it really was was the kind of the foreshadowing really of what Connor Washington has offered this team ever since um, and you know, I just think from right from the off, we just really had such an intensity about us, and we it's like we were really going for their throats. And we knew, I think we all knew we kind of had to win this one, and we just wanted as fans to see some serious intensity and just see a few more shots on goal and things like that in the Poland game because the Poland game was just so dire to watch, really, it just kind of fizzled out towards the end of the game. And I think as soon as the first like 30 minutes kind of took place, we knew exactly why Michael had made those changes. Obviously, before kickoff, it's a bit of a you know an unknown. There's some experience of his comeback in the side with Hughes, but I think it was a bit scary for me. But like I said, once I started watching the game, I realised exactly why he made the changes. It was just, it was amazing to watch in the first half, it really was. Mm-hmm. No, we, actually, had yeah. that, we had that calf court chance early on as well, and I just thought like this, you know, that header from the corner, wasn't it? So I yeah. think that was... Um, you know, I was just I was just really getting ready to see our first goal in the tournament. You know what I mean? I I said to you guys before the tournament, I was just like, I just want one like important goal to celebrate, even if it ends up in a defeat, like a goal that either we take the lead or an equalizer or something like that. I just wanted the, you know those scenes uh, or that level of excitement coming through, um, and obviously we, we get it from uh, from uh, in the second half. But I mean, first half was uh, we we had so many chances and. If you actually look at the stats, Ukraine had the real lion's share of possession in the game. Uh, obviously, I've had, to, I've had to change rooms, so we've got a good connection here, so I don't have my laptop in front of me. But I think I don't think we had any more than sort of 30% possession, maybe 30 35%. But from how, yeah. I, rem- from how I remember that game um, was that we dominated it. But, uh, you know, it must have, maybe if I watch it back, maybe towards 
the second half and were holding on to the one nil a little bit, then they had most of the play. But I mean, in terms of clear cut chances, first half it was. Um, it, there were so many for us. There's the the Cathcart um, header from the corner, yeah. just just wide or just over that you've alluded to. Um, there's a, a chance, another well worked free kick where Davis uh, keeper makes a good save from Davis. Uh, there's a couple of of long shots and stuff, and uh, like right from the start, the intensity, um, and it, it, it's just the most quintessential. Even if we just focus on the first half, it's the most quintessential Michael O'Neill first half. Um, if you want to, you know, sum up a game about everything good Michael O'Neill has been for us, there's your set piece routines from the corners, free kicks, uh, which is clearly a lot of work in the training ground. All comes from the manager. There's the intensity. Uh, there's Connor Washington's running. Um, I mean, I remember saying first half about about Washington's impact and how his running in behind. You know, he was giving us options in behind. He was running the channels, and it it just was really like a, 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 such a Michael O'Neill first half, wasn't it? It was just it was great to see. But you were you were worrying. Obviously, as a Northern Ireland fan, you're a massive warrior and you're worrying that we're going to regret these chances. Yeah, I think I just looked up. They had 69% of the ball in the game. Mm-hmm. And they had, I mean, roughly the same shots. They had 15 to our 13, but they only had four on target to our seven. So we were a bit more efficient in front of goal in terms of keeping things on target. But yeah, I mean, like you said, I, I didn't feel like, you know, Ukraine displayed that much quality, but I, I was still so nervous watching that game. Like, I just, even when, we, you know, when we went, obviously, actually more so when we won, won the up, you know, but um, I just remember, the thing I'll always remember from that game was towards the end when, obviously, McGinnis came on um, mm-hmm. and he was in the corner, <laughs> he was in the corner <laughs> of the pitch, and I was like, yeah, just keep it there, Josh, you know, you're a big lad, you can just keep it there, shrug off any any pressure that comes in and just waste some time for us, and he goes and tries to, like, just beat this man, and I'm just thinking, in the moment, I am going absolutely mental, like, what are you doing? And then it obviously leads to the McGinn goal, and it was just one of the most iconic moments iconic football moments I've ever seen in my lifetime that I've ever been a part of and it just to see that was just oh I mean incredible just a release of so much negative energy and tension in my body you know? <laughs> yeah okay well I was gonna I was gonna talk about the goals in chronological order but you know what let's talk about that second goal first um, <laughs> because yeah I mean every Northern Ireland fan I mean there's a, there's a great video uh, on Facebook I don't know if it's still on there if you can still access it but there's this guy that um, he's basically recording the he's doing a Facebook live ready for the full time whistle and he's obviously in the Northern Ireland and eighteen thousand Northern Ireland supporters there um, and he ends up losing his phone okay so like his phone gets knocked out of his hand during the uh, during the, the celebrations of the McGinn goal but he starts recording in maybe in like the ninety third ninety fourth minute and when Josh McGinnis like <laughs> when Josh McGinnis gets the ball I've never never in my life have I heard. A crowd of people with the same wrong opinion to go into the corner. I mean, I was shouting it. My mum, who doesn't even know what the corner is in football, was probably shouting it as well. I mean, yeah. it was... Uh, and it was quite funny because the Facebook Live video kept recording even when he lost it. So, like, 40 minutes on, um, they, there were people trying to help him find it when everyone left the stadium. And like uh, there were um, there, people are commenting on the Facebook Live thing saying, you know, okay, you're closer to it, you're closer to it now. Is this phone <laughs> somewhere, somewhere in Leon, in the stadium in Leon? Like, but uh, I'll I'll send you that later. I'm not even put it out on the on the Facebook page if I can find it. But um, yeah, I mean, if uh, let, let's be very clear about this. If Josh McGuinness um, loses the ball there, doesn't go to the corner, loses the ball, we didn't score, and. and uh, Ukraine go up the other end and make it one all, and we get tanked by Germany. I mean, Josh McInnes' Northern Ireland career is done. Oh, it's he over. Al- it's he over. Al- 
he already wasn't particularly uh, popular with the fans at this point. And I, I just think there's no way if that went wrong that Josh McGinnis would have eight international goals right now. No, it's, no, he, it just would have been sacrilege. Like the guy, yeah. No, there's no way I would look upon look upon Josh McGinnis with any kind of fondness. He would just be out of my thinking. It would be heartbreaking. Like, but little, I mean, it's those moments. He went on. He he took the risk, and he's ended up, you know, going into folklore in many ways. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, that uh, goal was just really well taken by McGinn, and it was it was just all a blur. Really, at that point, we were all just going mental. We all had a few drinks in us as well in the house, and it was just funny. Like. Of course, yeah, no, it, it's an amazing moment. It's 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 Dallas who has a shot, isn't it? And it comes back out. McGinn's first to react, um, and you know now McGinn has written himself into into Northern Ireland folklore with that. Um, it's just, it's it's one of the I just can't describe that like that feeling. It's one of the best feelings I've ever had. You know, we we all support our clubs, and there's this thing that everyone says: club over country. And I, you know, I'm a massive Liverpool supporter. You're a massive United supporter, and we love nothing more than seeing our clubs win. But at the, like that that feeling was just different. It was it was pride. It was it was our country. It was a, a team that we followed through the dark times. Yeah, um, and I know I know listeners on this will be saying you know uh, the Sammy McIlroy years have been darker times than, than what we went through. But you know it really was tough, and a lot of people, a lot of our mates wouldn't have uh, even watched Northern Ireland on the TV. I think they were playing at the same time, um, and it was at that point you know where you're you're, you're constantly watching this drivel. Uh, and you're never thinking we're going to get to a major tournament, never mind beat a half-decent team. I mean, Ukraine's a country with 20 million people in it. I know that's not necessarily an indicator, or it's not at all an indicator of uh, of how of how good a football nation a, a country is. But, I mean, 20, you know, they're a football, uh, a country where football is quite popular, 20 million people compared to us who are 1.6 million. I mean, it really was a massive, massive, massive scalp. And like, how, do you, how did you feel? Like, how long did the buzz go on for for you? Oh, I mean, it, it was amazing. I mean, like you said about Ukraine, I mean, they've had some um, unbelievable players down the, down the line. You know, I mean, even now in the side, you've got people like Yarmolenko, you know, and Konoplyanka, these kind of players. And then obviously back then they had Shevchenko and things like that, you know, many years ago. But um, yeah, I mean, for the rest of the day, we were just so buzzing. And I just thought, in my head, I thought to myself, we've got that win. We're going to go through to the, the knockouts now if we can just keep that Germany game down. But I wasn't even really thinking about the Germany game. You know, I was, I was just so happy about that game, considering all the nervousness that I had built up, um, even after that Macaulay goal, I still had nerves. And just to let that all go for the rest of the day was amazing. It really was. And it was a really unified feeling. I think it was really amazing for the country to have that, you know. And uh, obviously, you mentioned nerves there. I want to talk um, quickly about the rainstorm. Because there's, if you think, you know, oh no, I have to, I have to wait 20 minutes to see if this game, if we can hold on here, then there's a rainstorm. Where all the players have to come off, and, and, <laughs> and you're in the back of your in the back of your head, all sorts of things are going through your head at this point. When you're watching a football game, it's always I feel watching a football game back. I know it's boring because you know what happens, but you you definitely get a a far better idea of how the game's gone uh, rather than obviously all the emotion when it's live. But I, at this point, you're thinking like, has enough of this game been played? Where if it gets called off, we get the win, or if it gets played again tomorrow, do we? Does it start, uh, you know, from where we left off, or does this game get voided? Like all these mad things are going through your head, and it really, really didn't do very good for the um, for the old nerves. Because I remember Ukraine having they had a, they didn't really have any massive chances, but you know they have a free kick from a wide area, and you just think, is this going to skim off somebody's head and and beat the keeper? You know, it's everything was going through your head, and it was just. Um, like it was just a, like mad, mad nerves. I've never been nervous like it. Yeah, no, I, I mean the rainstorm was bizarre, and I think 
it just led into everyone overthinking everything for like a very short period of time and it was everyone's tension was getting ramped up even more and it was it it was i just think that was part of the whole thing i think that made it even sweeter and and just better as an experience you know if i was to go back and look at that game now it would be a really to watch the 90 minutes would be pretty bizarre (laughs) watching Mm. it back it would feel really strange but you know i mean what what a day that was I, i mean i'll never forget that game till the day I died, you know what I mean? It was just such an amazing feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and something for, for it, go, it went beyond just the average football fan as well. You know, there were so many people that just did, like you said, your mum didn't watch football and that day they just had an absolutely class day as a result. And that's the, what football can do, you know, when it's when it's at its best like this. Obviously heartbreak for Ukraine fans out there and for the country, but for they're the Adam fans, we were just, uh, they're not listening exactly. And for us, it was just, it was amazing. I, I don't think many people forget that. Yeah, I didn't expect to talk about the Gareth McCulley goal last, but let's do it anyway. I mean that. I mean that moment was was just incredible as well. It's a it's a well worked free kick. Credit to Michael again, who, who set up his team. If we give him criticism for the for the Poland game, then we have to give him immense immense credit for this one, a hundredfold. Like it, that another set piece routine. Ollie Norwood. Um, well, we'll not talk too much about him because I don't really like him, but uh, he whips a decent ball in. That's all you're getting, Ollie. Decent. Um, and Gareth McCauley. Uh, rises like a salmon to score at something like 36 <laughs> years old in the Europe, yeah, in a in a European Championship. Like what what a moment that was, and especially for Macaulay, who was already a fan's favourite, but I mean, uh, made himself a legend in in Lyon, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, we knew that Macaulay and Evans had that aerial threat. West Brom were always a really you know a brilliant side from set pieces, and we knew we had that threat from set pieces. And I think Ollie's delivery had been very inconsistent, and a lot of us were getting a wee bit frustrated during some of these games, but. He just he did have that real whip of quality in that ball, and, and I mean the finish was brilliant from from McCauley. Don't take away from the finish. The finish for me was just remarkable, and and we just I think everyone loves McCauley. Apparently he's the nicest guy ever. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, he seems um, sound, yeah, yeah, he seems really sound, and that was an amazing moment for him. Like you said, kind of getting into the end of his career, and to have that moment. I mean, he's just such a threat in the box, and he was doing that for West Brom for years. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So unfortunately, we're, we're going to have to wrap it up there. I could talk about this game all day, but I mean that that's that sets up the the group so nicely for us. Um, Poland and Germany go on to draw nil nil that evening. So Poland are on four points. Germany are on six, I believe. Uh, we're on three, and Ukraine are on zero. So that that actually eliminates Ukraine because if you remember, it's it was all to do with head to head. Um, in terms of a tiebreaker, it wasn't to do with goal difference. So, yes. obviously, worst case scenario, we finish in three points, Ukraine finish in three points, we still qualify ahead of them because no matter how heavily they beat Poland, um, we had the, we, we won the game 2-0. So, we yeah. were mathematically guaranteed third place, but not mathematically guaranteed qualification, as we've said before, because uh, two of the six teams... Um, Two, two of the six teams who uh, finished third, the worst third-place teams, didn't qualify. So we go into this Germany game knowing that obviously we're we're not gonna we're probably not gonna get a win or, or get anything from it. But I'm I'm just interested, like psychologically, how were your nerves before the Germany game? Because it's a weird it's weird to go into it thinking, okay, I'll take a one-nil defeat here, but I'll not take a you know I'll not you know, if, uh, the only way I can be nervous is if we're gonna get hammered. So like, how were you feeling going into that? Did you think, okay, we can keep the score down? Um, I was a bit worried to be honest with you, just because once I kind of gathered my thoughts after Ukraine, I knew I just knew that Germany are one of those sides that can really put you to the sword. Like they've done that so many times in qualifying and, and major tournaments, where they just they just absolutely thrash teams because Germany can be relentless. Um, which is how much quality they have on their side, how much depth they have coming off the bench and things like that. Um, obviously they did it to Brazil and think uh, at the World Cup, and you just think of these kind of games when you're watching this. 
Um, but I knew going in, McGovern was going to have to have a fantastic game. I knew that you know the defense would have to be on just absolute best form for us to kind of get through this. Um, I think it was three uh, nil. You said that would send us home. So, yeah, three or three or four nil. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. Um, so I mean, realistically, you look at that, you think Germany just try keep it down, but you're not saying that three or four nil is not a, you know a possible scenario because it's very possible. Do you know what I mean? So absolutely. there were a lot of nerves, but. As we went on to see, I mean, Michael McGovern just had such an incredible game. I, I just, I couldn't believe some of the saves he pulled off. Yeah, I, I, for me, this as as a you know as a as a twenty one year old coming twenty two. I mean, for me, this is the best Northern Ireland individual Northern Ireland performance I've ever seen in my life. I mean, this wasn't uh, a show of bad finishing, and this wasn't a show of luck. You know, these shots weren't straight at him, or you know, just hit him. Uh, even though your right place, right time is, is part of being a goalkeeper. These were, if you look back at some of these saves, there's one in particular that stands out for me. I think it's Gutze, and it's in the second half. And he's point blank range, he's about 10 yards out. And you, there's a perfect shot of it in the TV uh, coming from right behind, uh, sorry, like facing McGovern uh, close up. And Gutze absolutely smashes it. And he's about two yards, and it's one of the best reaction saves I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Just gets a right hand down to it. Uh, there's another. There's a header from Mario Gomez where he's at full strength, tips it around the uh, full stretch, I should say, tips it around the post. There were a string of other incredible saves. I mean, that, that like it cannot be understated how ridiculous a show of goalkeeping that was. It's it's it really is one of the all time great goalkeeping performances. Yeah, I mean it's it's comparable for me to like some of the iconic David de Gea performances I've seen, and you just. You, you compare Michael McGovern and David De Gea, you just don't think McGovern's going to do that. But he had one of those games where it just I don't think he was going to get beaten, you know, more than what it was in the end, 1-0 Germany. You just, it was one of those days for a keeper. It's what you really want your keepers to do when you know that the opposition are just going to be having so many chances. You want your keeper to be able to make the difference for you. And McGovern just, in that day, he was never going to let more than one goal past him. Like, he just wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. So... It was, it, like you said, the best performance I've ever seen. I mean, you could say Healy against Spain and all this, but I, I just think in the, the situation that that game was, you know, with us, a chance of going through to the knockouts, McGovern just pulled it out of the bag. It was absolutely ridiculous performance. I, I, it's incredible. And let, let's be very clear about this. Michael McGovern sent us through the last 16 of, of the Euros. I mean, obviously, you, exactly. can look back, you can look back in the Ukraine game, but if you look at that Germany game alone, I mean, an average keeper or any any sort of run-of-the-mill, half-decent keeper, lower-end Premier League, let's say, um, concedes, concedes three or four goals there. There's no two ways about it. Um, and, like, it's... it's Michael, we were a bit concerned because I think McGovern only makes his second-ever appearance at 30 years old in the Romania game at home when uh, Roy Carroll... Uh, was injured. Roy Carroll had done really well in the qualifying campaign for us until that point. And even going into the Euros, I have to hold my hands up and say I was still um, I was still a, a big advocate of playing Roy Carroll over Michael McGovern, especially after obviously the mistake he makes against uh, Hungary and the fact that Roy Carroll played in a couple of friendlies coming up to it, saved the penalty against uh, Slovenia, was just in general a, a fan's favourite. And like Roy Carroll was just such a safe pair of hands between the between the sticks for us and. Right up until the Euros, I was still saying we, you know, I, I would play Roy Carroll in this one. I, um, I, I was chatting to a former Northern Ireland goalkeeper as well and uh, asking his opinion on it. And I was, you know, strongly advocating for this for the uh, for this guy not to play. And but he's uh, for somebody who was playing his football at Hamilton. He was out of contract at Hamilton. I'm not sure whether that was 
him wanting to move on or Hamilton not thinking he was good enough, but eventually he gets his move to Norwich, who aren't in the Premier League at that point. I think they're championship, but you know, all of a sudden he's playing regular uh, championship football and he's still at Norwich right now and still getting a couple of games every now and again. They saved two penalties in the same game this season. And like, imagine, imagine what it'd be like to have your career kick started at what, like 31, 32 years old? It must be mm. such an a, such an incredible feeling. Like, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was, I, I don't think we've ever been the biggest McGovern fans. And I, I think we have our reasons for that. Just, he's never been a terrifically like consistent goalkeeper, but I don't. I don't think any of us will look back in that game and not thank Michael for for what he did. I mean, it was just it was you know, the best performance I've seen from someone in Northern Ireland shirt. And you know, I'd love to see Michael maybe go on and get you know some more consistent games at club level, wherever that might be, um, before the end of his career. But you know, if he's if he's playing a couple of Premier League games at Norwich, you know, fair play to him. Oh, just fair play to Michael. I think you know. Yeah, and he, he signed a new contract there. Well, not a new contract. It was about six months ago, but yeah. Uh, to be third choice keeper just because he's apparently such a um, a great voice, a great presence to have around the dressing room, and um, oh, apparently, apparently everyone just loves him there. So like it's uh, like just so happy for him because he really deserved that after the the performances he put in, uh, especially in the Germany game, but also as I mentioned previously uh, in some of the other games to keep the score down as well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, like let's just chat for a bit about Germany that game because if it wasn't so painful us having to watch it and knowing that at any given point an attack them looking like they were going to score if it wasn't so intensely painful you know it was just incredible to watch what a team yeah no they were in full flow they were absolutely in full flow in that match and they just went through clean through on goal so many times and just kept getting behind and just had all the ball uh, really no issue I'm actually going to pull up the stats here when you're talking next just so we can have a look at some of the stats from the game but I mean we knew watching this side, this is a side with so much quality in it, you know, there, there's so much that can come off the bench potentially as well in the game for them. And, you know, we were just thinking this could be, this could be four or five, this could happen, you know, but uh, I mean, you just have to appreciate some of the brilliance that you see as well. Sometimes as, as a fan, you just have to say, you know what, fair play. Mario Gomez was, I mean, he's such a prolific striker in his day. And I think that, yeah, 28 shots they had that day. Wow, 28 shots they had that day and they had nearly 80% of the ball yeah. uh, so I mean it's just ridiculous, their pass accuracy was at 90% um, you know, well over you know, quadruple the amount of passes we made it was just, I mean that was just such a clinical performance from, well actually not clinical but <laughs> not clinical, uh, yeah. so I really just yeah. went about it in such an efficient way and just, just dominated the game we had no, no look in at all in that match Hundred percent. We, we we I think we had sort of one chance immediately after they score. It doesn't appear in any of the highlights, but I, I specifically remember like we had a two on one, and Connor Washington and Steve Davis were were both through. I can't remember who misplaced the pass. I think it actually might have been Davis misplaced the pass to Washington. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but you know that that was the real. I mean, that's the only time I can remember us being in their half. Um, the, the the highlight of that game I take away from was apart from the incredible McGovern saves, but I just remember the Northern Ireland fans being incredible that day. Uh, that game was in Paris, and throughout the whole tournament, like Northern Ireland fans just gave such an incredible representation of themselves. Um, if Northern Ireland fans had a had a bad uh, reputation based in the past before that, it was completely wiped out. Everyone absolutely loved us over there. Um, just to, like just to talk a bit about that Germany team. I mean, there oh. was Özil who. Uh, Obviously, hasn't has come in for a good bit of criticism at Arsenal, but when he played for his country, he was incredible. Uh, Mario Goetze, uh, World Cup uh, final, scored, scored the winner in the World Cup final. Gomez, who at that wasn't 
maybe the best point in his career, but he was still so effective up there as big lad Absolutely, could hold yeah. the ball up. Um, without even talking about the quality in midfield, Kroos and Kadira, I think, played that day. I don't know if, if Kimmich's broken through at that point. I, yeah, I Kimmich's starting at right back, actually, there. And you've got okay. Boateng, Hummels, and, and Jonas Hector making up the rest of the back four, which, I mean, they were all just, they, they were brilliant at tournament, actually. And then you had Muller, who, um, I mean, who was almost going on to like look like he was going to be the one to have the World Cup goals record at one stage. Yeah. I don't know if that's going to happen now. I mean, and then you look at their bench. I mean, the likes of Sherlock, Podolski, Draxler, uh, Bernd Leno, who's, who's doing great at Arsenal now, uh, Julian Weigel, Leroy Sané, Ter Stegen, who's emerged as one of the top three keepers in the world. Yeah. I mean, that's just a ludicrous strength and depth. I mean, we had the likes of, you know, Will Grigg on the bench and, mm-hmm. and you know, McCulloch. Uh, Paddy McNair was actually on the bench that day, and then mm-hmm. um, Lee Hodson and Alan Manis and things like that. So, I mean, the, the bench itself tells a story, um, and it was always going to be an uphill task. Kroos, for me, was probably the best midfielder in the world at that stage. Yeah. Um, as well, central midfielder in the world, and he just he had all of the ball, dictated everything. And just some of their interplay, like there would be a pass in defeat, um, sort of um, penetrating our back line, and just a flick over the top, and they were just constantly getting in. And it was attack after attack after attack. And looking back on it now, knowing that we go through, you can really, really enjoy that 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 team and that play as a as a football purist. You know, uh, I just want you to have you have you got the bench in front of you there? Yes. Uh, do you have the the full bench? Don't worry if you don't. Yeah. Yes, yeah, here. Sorry, was we we breaking connection? Do you have the bench in front of you? Yes, I've got the full bench on both. Yeah, do you mind like reading it out there? Just just go through it. Uh, so I'm gonna count my fingers something. Go the for Northern it. Ireland bench. Yeah. Okay, so we had McLaughlin, mm-hmm. Ferguson. Yeah. Baird. Yeah. McGinn, who came on. Okay. Greg. Yeah. Lafferty. Yeah. Roy Carroll. Okay. Uh, McCulloch. Paddy McNair, okay. Josh McGinnis, yeah, and then Lee Hodson and Alan Manis. So, like, I've counted seven or eight players there, and that's being generous, including including Will Gregg, obviously, who we know never going to look in, um, and probably wouldn't even be talking about in this way unless there was the the whole thing over the song. But like, I'm just, I've counted maybe let's say six or seven for being realistic players there who can come on with us for us. You know, Germany have a squad of twenty three world class players. Yeah, we've only. A, We've only a squad of maybe 17 of the 23 who realistically were ever going to see in action. I mean, you're not going to be playing Lee Hodson in the Euros, are you? He's there to make up the numbers. Let's be very brutal about this. Um, so, like, just from that perspective, it was it was just such an incredible Germany performance. I just want to ask you one last question on the Germany game. Um, and obviously this is, if Michael was listening right now, he'd be absolutely furious and I'm asking this. Um, but because it's, it's such a, a thing of hindsight. But... Could any changes have been made to freshen the legs? I mean, were our legs a bit heavy for that game? Do you think he could have maybe brought somebody else in, maybe brought McLaughlin back in? Or is, well, I mean, let's be perfectly honest about this and let's be fair. Nobody was calling for changes after the Ukraine game. No, I don't, I don't think you could say, you can look back and say in hindsight that changes should be made for that game because I think when you win a game 2-0 at the Euros like that, you just want to keep that side. And, 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 and you know, there's such a unity there in that team at that point. That that is the side that can get you over the line and keep it tight against Germany. I think personally, I mean, to say that I mean, if you look at some of the options off the bench, I don't think fresh legs would have necessarily done us many favors. Uh, to be honest with you, we just we played with the same experienced side and we just gave it absolutely everything. 
that we could. It was just such a, a desperate display. But I think with that side, we had the experience and the quality to get over the line. And that's all we had to do in this game. Yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly what we did. So uh, got a wee bit of trivia for you here. Um, don't expect you. Don't expect anyone to get this because it's such a nice sort of fact. But do you remember what game actually qualified us later on that night? Oh, oh God, no. Oh, <laughs> I couldn't even think. Well, what would it have been? So uh, Turkey beat the Czech Republic 2-0. Right, which okay. Which confirmed that we would we would go through. Oh, that's, a, that's an absolute classic there, that game, yeah. So I might be yeah, but I remember we were all actually watching it and like everyone was a, everyone turned into a Turkey ultra that night. Like it's... Who was a fan up front for Turkey? I oh, who was that? Oh, I can't remember. Okay. Uh, who was on their group? Checks. Um, I think I think I watched the game, but I don't really remember it. Like, yeah. Well, they, they I think they we needed them to win, but it's, you know because there's so many permutations. You know that is obviously my speciality on the Facebook page. But there were so yeah. many permutations there. We needed Turkey to win, but if they won four 0 it would it would it would mean we wouldn't go three. So. You, you, right. you, you see Turkey go 2-0 up in whatever, the 70th minute, let's say it was. You're thinking, right, okay, just stop there now. Yeah, chill out, chill out, lads. Nice bit of passing around the midfield. Yeah, so I just, it was just such a weird feeling. And then, and that, that was a point where, at that point, we were sort of talking about, it, it looked like we are actually going to play France in the last 16, and that would have been such an incredible experience. I always said, host nation, their first ever European championships, Um uh, our first major tournament for 34 years like that that was that was just going to be such an incredible game but there was a small chance that we'd play Wales and as much as I said you know I want to I want to play uh, or, or I would like to uh, play up against France for the occasion I think we were all hoping for Wales weren't we which we eventually oh, got yeah definitely Wales I mean I think France just so much caught they would put us to the sword I think they were really feeling at that tournament and I just yeah glad we didn't play them Pogba was you know lighting things up so uh, yeah, so we we play Wales and uh, let's get the big blow out of the way. We lose one 0 We go home. Um, Chris Coleman says at the end of the game that Northern Ireland are the better team. That's the way it came across to me. But maybe he just didn't do quite enough to guarantee that we would win the game. I mean, it was I seem to remember being a fairly even game. We were pretty unlucky, but couldn't really have had any massive complaints. You know, if if, if a game's even, then a bit of quality can 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 send the game either way, and that's. Ultimately, what happened with Gareth Bale providing that ball? Yeah, that's that's what happens when you have you know a world class player in, in you know in your firing line in, in, during a game like this. You know, a Bale was obviously Bale's kind of dipped off a little bit. His relationships deteriorated at Real Madrid since then. But at the time, I mean, Bale was just showing so much form, and we knew going into that game that he's a different threat to Lewandowski from earlier in the tournament. He's one of those threats that you might not be able to nullify as, as easily as Lewandowski due to the sheer pace and kind of positions that he picks up. So that was just a one moment from Bale, a, a brilliant ball into the injury area that we couldn't deal with. Simple as that. Yeah, absolutely, and it's it was one of those as well where we obviously uh, like the Poland game, uh, like the 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 Lewandowski thing. Um, we obviously have um, we obviously have targeted targeted Gareth Bale, somebody we need to stop. Um, yeah. But if you look back at the highlights, uh, as as we were saying about Poland, there are obviously very good players that play for Wales as well. Aaron Ramsey puts a cracker ball in for for folks um, at one point, and you know they could have scored from that one. So had a couple of clear cut chances. We had a, we had a couple of shots, forced Tennessee into a couple of saves, but unfortunately, it is just that moment of quality. And it's uh, we'll just talk about the sort of the the tactics and stuff. The Kyle Lafferty came back in, and I think Kyle Lafferty actually plays really well in this game. I remember it quite well. He holds the ball up really well. Um, and after the Germany game where Washington was just uh, just couldn't get a hold of it and was probably absolutely knackered from rolling about, 
from the Ukraine game and the Germany game, obviously two games in the space of three or four days, whatever it was. Yeah, it was. Um, like, I think everyone was calling for Lafferty to come back in at this point. And yeah, do, do you do you remember much about Lafferty's performance? I, I I thought he was good. Yes, no, Lafferty impressed me. I think I was at your house, was I, for this game? You were, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and we were all watching that, and he was getting up against Ashley Williams a lot. Ashley Williams, actually, I mean, as much as we don't like him from that game, oh, um, he put in what he a kind of performance um, that he just needed to put in for his side in that game. He was really frustrating, and he, he would go down at every opportunity, and he was up against Ashley Williams, and he dealt really well with the kind of physical battles that he was getting into, Kyle Lafferty, I thought, and mm-hmm. he was really showing, that, you know, the impetus to go on and try to get something from that game, but Wheels... You know, Wales with Bale, they just had a bit of quality in that tournament. And it was just unfortunate that the, the luck went against us in that game. You know, I thought, I don't think we could really look at that game and say that we did anything necessarily wrong. Um, Wales went on to show that they had quality in that tournament with in the Belgium game and things like that. So they just had a bit of a luck that term, that tournament and, you know, we're playing quite well. So um, I don't think really, it was devastating. It was really heartbreaking to go out, but I just felt so proud if I were played anyway in that. Yeah, I mean, to see us, I mean, the, the opposition manager, as I mentioned, said himself that we were the better team. To see us the better team in a knockout game of a major tournament, we never yeah. thought we would see that. We really no Um And, you know, there's not a lot to talk about in the game. It's, it's not a, it's not a f- superb game. It's not a great spectacle for the neutral. But uh, there, there's just the moment of quality and probably we're, we're the better team overall. But uh, one, one question, an interesting question, I just sort of thought up when I was doing the agenda of this podcast was... If today's Northern Ireland team played that game, could the outcome have been different, do you think? With a bit more quality, with the likes of, say, Jordan Jones there, who can offer us that moment of magic. Uh, yeah. Somebody like Gavin White to bring off the bench. Um, Paddy McNair playing in top form. Just with maybe slightly more individual quality, given that Lafferty wasn't overly firing at that tournament. Do you think that it could have been slightly different for us? Yeah, with the, the kind of system we deploy now, and, and if you had Washington kind of in, in his best kind of pressing form and we had McNair leading, you know, by example, and we still have that quality in defence, you know, and and like you say, Jordan Jones, we have a lot more pace in this side now with, you know, Jamal Lewis and all coming through and just really showing a lot of form at the minute. I think we could have definitely won that game. I think we could have maybe just had a bit more about us going forward. Um, I don't think much would have changed defensively, you know, I just think going forward we might have had a bit more bite and a bit more pace to get in behind the likes of, I think, Gunter playing yeah. for Wales. So, I mean, I think we we could have caused someone like Chris Gunter a lot of issues getting behind him, you know. So, it's one of those things we could have pinpointed, targeted him a little bit, and we could have had a bit more fortune. But, yeah, I'd say, I'd say if we if we play with our current side, that that we could have won that game. I really do think that. But I think that just shows how much we've progressed. You know, I think that's a good thing, saying that, you know. Yeah, and you you mentioned the uh, getting in behind the likes of the likes of Gunter and the fullbacks there. Obviously, we you know we you had Jamie Ward who uh, you know, I absolutely love Ward. I know you do as well. He's he's yeah. such a hard worker and produced some great moments for Northern Ireland. But realistically, you know if if you're looking for the moment of quality, that guy's going to score you goals. Guy's going to beat the man and put the killer ball in. You're looking towards Jordan Jones over Jamie Ward, even though Jamie Ward's been thus far much more you know successful for his country. He's done a lot more for his country. He's, yes, uh, for Northern Ireland. Um, but yeah, it's it was just been that moment of quality, and it's just a shame that obviously you know, the fact of the matter is that that when games are tight, um, very often that moment of quality football is all about moments. I always said I've said it in this podcast before, but that moment of quality could have uh, could have just come through for us. Uh, I want to mention there because obviously you um, were talking about a couple of different players that would have played that game if today's Northern Ireland team would have played. You mentioned Jamal Lewis. Um, obviously, it would have been nice to have a, a conventional right a left back throughout this tournament. But 
I, I didn't want to finish this podcast without saying this because I thought Johnny Evans was just unbelievable in this tournament and we could have easily gone through this podcast without talking about him because he didn't provide any there's no specific moments that you think of but just to be playing out of position to have been shifted out there a position he's, he, he's not really used to playing uh, on his on his weaker side as well you know he was just so so good and for me he was actually the best left back at that tournament I don't know if that's biased but that's the way I see it yeah, Johnny Evans, I mean, when he emerged at United, he he kind of taken up a fullback position in, in some different games. And Johnny Evans is one of those guys that I could you could put him across the entire back four, you could put him anywhere, and I just think he'd he'd be brilliant. He's just he's he's one of the best defenders we've ever had, really, and had the fortune of having in this Northern Ireland side. And he's just he proves himself again and again. And I as a United fan, he's one of those guys that for some reason doesn't get a good reputation with a lot of United fans, and they just think a bit kind of early of him but I think he's a quality defender and I definitely would have kept him at the club actually to be honest with you so Johnny Evans remarkable at tournament playing out of position yeah yeah j- just to, to talk about him briefly I mean a lot of people like Leicester have obviously been very good defensively and especially what's more impressive about how good Evans has been in this last cut short season is Brendan Rodgers side is, is, is an attacking it's an attacking side his system has exposed defenders in the past good defenders like you know, Daniel Agger, Martin Skirtle, I'm thinking when he was at um, at Liverpool, you know, even in that season where Liverpool uh, obviously uh, came short of winning the title in 13-14, uh, we conceded 52 goals that year. So, you know, the, Brendan Rod- and I'm, I'm sure Rodgers has maybe slightly revised the system as well, the strength of defence, but at the end of the day, he is an attacking manager. So it's not like, you know, it was Ben Mee, Tarkovsky, who looked brilliant heading the ball away 100 times a game in a system, yeah. which is just set up with two banks of four. Um, to be defensive, you know, and Soyuncu is a good defender, but I think if you actually talk to Leicester supporters who, who go to the game and who watch Leicester every week, they'll tell you that Johnny Evans is the leader in that back line. No, no, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, it just speaks a lot that Fergie was, you know, recommended Evans to, I think, Pulis, who signed him at West Brom, and uh, Fergie was actually a big fan of Johnny, and it was actually Louis van Gaal, obviously, that, that let him go, and I just think, yeah, Johnny Evans, he's, he's he's really underrated on the ball. He's always been a good pass for the ball. He can take the ball in the midfield. And, yeah, like you said, in an attacking Leicester side, he's holding his own, you know, in a system that doesn't necessarily think defend first. You know, he just, he proves that he's got great leadership and can really carry that back line. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And Ars- Arsene Wenger is a big fan as well. Famously wanted to sign him for Arsenal a couple of times. Yeah. It never quite happened for him. Um, but I'm really excited if this season, if football ever starts up again, I'm excited to see Johnny Evans in the playing Champions League football because he's just turned into a real Rolls Royce defender. And uh, what is yeah, he? Is he is he 32, 33, or is he Johnny you know, Evans? Let me look this up. Actually, he is 32. He's 32. So he's still yeah. Johnny Evans can still play for his country for another six years. I mean, he's not yeah, a guy realistically. Who, he's not a guy who relies massively on pace. He's so good on the ball, and he's just, he just yeah. reads the game so well for us. And you know, he's maybe six or seven years ago when he was playing for United maybe his, his performances for his for Northern Ireland were slightly below par um, not helped by the management and the coaching team and um, obviously what was around him as well but like, he really is like I, I feel like he's actually underrated bizarrely even though he's probably our best player right now and most people would accept that I think he's still underrated just how good a defender he is uh, and I, I just want to just want to move on uh, very quickly at the end here before we wrap this up, obviously we we it's it's a bit cringe whether we don't overly want to talk about it. Really, I don't, but it is something that everyone has been talking about or was talking about after the game. And let's be very clear about this: if Will Grigg didn't have the song, nobody would be wondering why he never came on 
in those last um, in those last games. But have they got a, sort of a slight point? I mean, for for a guy who is purely a finisher, when we're maybe trying to get a few set pieces or just throwing everyone forward to get uh, the ball to drop. I mean, we only lose three games. We only lose one nil in all of them. You know, do you think he could have come on for five minutes, or do you think that's just? I just think that's, I don't know, I, I've never been a, a Greg fan, really. I mean, I, I, the chant and all was, was great to have in the tournament, but I've never been a biggest fan of, of Will Greg, to be honest with you, and I don't think it would have necessarily made a difference. I mean, he was showing some form, I think, at the time at, at Wigan, was it? Yeah, he got promoted yeah. in Wigan, scored 25 yeah, goals so or something. Yeah. For me, I, 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 maybe, maybe, but it's not something I look back at and really think about, no. to be honest with you. Definitely not. It's it's a cringeworthy conversation as well for people. It is. is. I'm okay with people saying, um, you know what, you know he's he's a good finisher. If if you talk about it from a football perspective, you know, good finisher. Last five minutes, throwing everyone forward. Maybe the ball could have fallen to him and he could have taken a chance. But that's it. Like if you're if you're seriously making a a hard line case that Will Grigg should have played more football at the Euros, then you are just influenced by the chant. You know, nobody was calling Josh Josh McGuinness to play more. Yeah, yeah. He's, a, he's a better footballer and I agree with you I'm, I'm not a Greg fan at all I think there might be a uh, you know there could be a space for him in our squad just because if you four or five strikers is there a space for just that goal scorer but we've seen him play up front in games for Northern Ireland like the, the Israel game we were at a couple of years ago was it um, yes. we played up front the zone and didn't get a kick you know uh, this guy uh, needs a system to be built fully around him he's, he's, the, reality is, the reality is he's not good enough to have a system built around him at any level other than oh. League One and he's not getting a game for Sunderland. He's not even getting in the squad for Sunderland. So, I mean, the clamour really has to stop. And I think it more or less has stopped now, hasn't it? I think it has, yeah. I haven't really heard too much about that in recent years, or in recent couple of years, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, yeah. Any any other business? Anything more you want to say about this before we wrap this up? Well, I, mean, it was, I think it was just really nice to reminisce about, you know, a, a great tournament, really, you know, with everything that's going on at the minute. It's nice to look back at some things, you know, when everything was a bit more simple. Yeah. And um, we had to, we had some football to enjoy, you know. But I just said everyone just you know to, to stay safe and, and and keep isolating and just doing what they can and and just try to stay as productive as you can. You know, I've I've maybe taken back to some video games I used to play a lot, things like that, just to really pass the time because it's not easy and, and and mental health can really take a bit of a toll for some people during you know this kind of situation. So you know, just stay as productive as you possibly can and, and just and you, you'll get through it. You know. Yeah, hundred percent. I I just want to echo that as well. I I forgot I forgotten completely the um to, to sort of talk about this at the end. So thanks for reminding me. You know, it's that that that's a very important thing that you uh, mentioned there. Like mental health, everyone's inside. It's it's not good for anyone. So um, the th- first thing you have to remember is obviously everyone's in the same boat. Everyone's at home. Nobody's having a great time right now. You know, so everyone's yeah. the same. So I think people can take some comfort in that. Um, and you know what? Like five five minute videos on Facebook that appear of of people doing keep you up with the toilet roll like i did one for the page and stuff like that you just have to remember you know that's not the way people are are living nobody is having a great time of it right now and you know personally you mentioned you know you're drumming your video games and i've actually i've i was gonna say dug out the piano of course <laughs> not literally but you know I've been, <laughs> I've been playing that a bit more and really enjoying it and it's just about finding things to do you know obviously try not to maybe spend the whole day watching Netflix, I don't know, just just like find a few things that you can uh, improve yourself and, and and get through this and hopefully yeah. it will be sooner rather than later and obviously we, um, we are going to, they are going to play this Bosnia game at some point, this Bosnia game is going to be played, whether it's a year yes. from now, it could well be a year from now, let's make no bones about it, yeah. um, but we are going to have football and we are, we are going to be back in Windsor Park soon 
um, yeah. and we're gonna be we're gonna be watching the games, and we're gonna have more podcasts coming up. So I, I mean, I really enjoyed this. I, I don't know how much content we'll be putting out over this isolation period, um, but we're gonna have to think about some ideas. And if anyone has any ideas of things they'd like us to talk about, we'll certainly uh, have a think about uh, doing a podcast on that as well. So yeah, really enjoyed this. Thanks very much for coming on. Brilliant. No, very happy to. If we can keep some kind of content, you know, going over the quarantine, that that'd be great for people. You know, it's a great chance for people to kind of listen in to some things like this. So, yeah, brilliant. Thanks for having me, man. No problem at all. Uh, obviously, these podcasts are available, as I always say, SoundCloud, Spotify and iTunes. Uh, like the Facebook page, a bit going on there, a bit of coverage. Uh, obviously, not much right now because there's no football to talk about, but... Um, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, either Spur to 2016 or Spur to 2016 podcast. If you type that in, uh, you'll get to our page. And yeah, thank you to everyone for listening and hope you enjoyed this wee Euro 2016 review four years on. Thank you very much. Bye bye.